Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. That's from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6. This is the Essential Bible Studies podcast. My name is Tim Young. And my name is Frank Abel. I'd like to welcome you back, the listeners here, to another episode of the Essential Bible Studies podcast, the podcast where we like to incorporate the batter meinhof phenomenon. Do you know what that is, Frank? No, no, I don't. <laughs> they also call it the frequency illusion that, like, say when you buy a new car, then you start driving around, and all of a sudden you start seeing your same car all over the place. Have you ever had that happen to I you? I certainly have, Yes. <laughs> I think the same is true of Bible study. Sometimes when people point things out, I've never noticed them before. So last year, at the end of the season, we were talking together on the last podcast, and I asked you about some studies that you had done during your life that had impacted you, and you mentioned the study on covetousness. And at the time, I thought, oh, okay, covetousness, I mean, thou shalt not covet. How much is there really of that in the Bible? But ever since you said that, <laughs> I've seen it everywhere in the Bible. It's been all over the place. And I keep saying, oh, there it is again. Oh, there it is again. Oh, there it is again. So th- there's actually a name for that called the Batter-Meinhof uh, phenomenon. Okay. Right on. Yep. <laughs> I think everybody's experienced that in their life. There was a old woman, a believer that I used to know. She read her Bible every day, but she'd get to passages and she says, uh, that wasn't in my Bible last year. we noticed some things that we've been reading all our lives and they all of a sudden they just come popping off the page and that's what great study is about so hopefully this is one of them for you the listener this idea of covetousness is frank has experienced and i'm just now experiencing i refer to that 10th commandment thou shalt not covet because that's really kind of familiar to a lot of us the 10 commandments and when you go through the 10 commandments Thou shalt not covet is the last one. It's the tenth one. It seems to be very important. Ones before it says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill or murder. And then you get to the tenth one, it's thou shalt not covet. And it has all these examples, like neighbor's wife, neighbor's house, and all these kind of things. So it seems to have like a little commentary on that one. What really struck me is like the other ones are external. Thou shalt not steal is something that you can see done, whereas thou shalt not covet is internal. It's like somebody's thinking. And this was a law for Israel. And I thought, what if there was like a law in my country, Canada, that said thou shalt not covet? That would be crazy, wouldn't it? How would you enforce that? How would you govern something like that? But this was actually how God was governing the children of Israel in the wilderness. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, it is amazing, Tim, because all the others can be observed. And if a person is committing something that God says is worthy of punishment, then you can produce the evidence. You can bring the witnesses in. But how do you do that for a person's thinking? Like, who's going to witness it? And how do we even know what it is except God describes it, that kind of detail? So. As we go through this study, yeah, you do start to see things you've never really looked at that way before. That's helpful. That's what Bible study does for us. It yeah. makes us more observant of what God really wants. 
last season we talked about sin. We defined sin in some podcasts, and yeah. we're really getting into seeing how God thinks about this. Reason why I wanted to do this was because, well, I realized how important it was. But just as an example of the type of things we wouldn't know without the Word of God, that he expects a change in thinking, not just a change in doing. Like we often think if we do something wrong, it's a sin, like yeah. it's some sort of action. But God really takes it at the heart of the matter. He says, no, I want you to change internally that there are sins of the mind. Yes. And covetousness is a great example of this. So maybe you can expand for us on this idea of the internals of this. Well, you see, we're all made of the same stuff. And yeah. sometimes what we may have denied we really have as a problem ourselves, we see more forcibly when we see it in our children that we can see just by the look of their eyes that there's a little greed there. <laughs> and by what they're saying, there's a lot of greed there mm. without them ever realizing what covetous is. And yet when we come to the Bible, one of those chapters in Romans chapter 7, which is somewhat difficult to understand, but there's real value to understanding it. God says in verse, or the Apostle Paul is instructed to write in verse 7 of chapter 7, he says, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And that's what we see in children. There would be mm. no reason for a child to not want more and more of everything. That's just natural to us. But when the law says, no, that's not right, then we start to see a restraint we've never seen before. But you see, it's developed further later on in that chapter when in Verse 23, I see a law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Well, yeah, a lot of these ideas come first to our mind, and, and people might never know what we're really thinking until we do something, until we say something, until mm. illustrated by some external feature that, yeah, that's really what was going on in our mind. But God looks on the mind, and that's where he wants to see purity. That's a much more difficult thing to do. And maybe that's one of the reasons why covetousness is so important. It really brings that to light. Yeah, and as I've been thinking about it over the past year since you mentioned it, there's been some passages that really popped out to me. One of those was Ephesians chapter 5. And just looking at verse 3, first of all, he says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So he lists it with a couple other sinful things, but covetousness is there. And he says, don't even let it be named among you, even one time, as proper among saints. And then verse 5, he says, For you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So it's on the same level as sexual immorality, and this kind of thinking of covetousness can actually exclude us from the kingdom of God. And our whole hope and our whole desire should be on the future kingdom of God, that we will be there and have eternal life. But if we're not living or thinking right in this life, we're not going to be there. Yep, that's a very important aspect of it. It's amazing how the Apostle Paul, the same person, expressed 
the same idea, roughly the same idea, in mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he said in verse 9, don't be deceived. Now, that's the preface uh, for everything that yeah. <laughs> goes on, which illustrates that we'll likely be deceived. I think that's what he really is saying. Be yeah. not deceived because you will likely be deceived. Then he goes through and says in verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say one final thing, I think, which is very important, and such were some of you. In other words, the Bible meets us at a time in life, and sometimes it's quite different at the age in which we come to an understanding of a subject. And we find we're already a sinner. <laughs> like it's not, don't do this in the future, you're going to be a sinner. No, we already are. By the, we're living very covetously. We didn't know it. But God holds hope for people like that. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about the Bible. It doesn't mean, all right, I've already found I'm not going to be in the kingdom of God because I've done this. But God always offers yeah. us, turn around when you can. Repentance. Repent. Yeah. And you will still be in the kingdom of God. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. yeah. So the ESV says greedy there instead of covetousness. That's a similar concept, isn't it? Covetousness yeah. or greediness. Yeah. When I come to Bible studies too, I often like to think of what would be the opposite. Like we're not supposed to be covetous or greedy. And I've come to the conclusion that it's contentment is the opposite of covetousness. And that really comes out in a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 9 through 11. So just trying to practice this in, in my own life. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So it's that phrase there, the love of money, because that's really what covetousness is, a love of gain or material things. Now, this is often, this is a familiar verse, but I find it's often misquoted just to say money is the root of all evil. But you have to read carefully. (laughs) That's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so you may not have any money, but if you have the love of money, that's a problem. Another interesting thing about that is that at verse 6, which the Apostle Paul uses in a way which uh, (laughs) is really suggestive, he is godliness with contentment, like you were mentioning. Yeah. The opposite of is contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. (laughs) (laughs) Like monetarily gain, but no, like in a good sense, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how the Word of God is put together like that. Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about covetousness, One aspect is the love of money, but is there a better definition for that, Frank? Well, the English meaning is anything to wish for eagerly with a sense of wrongful, something that's wrongful about it. So in Hebrew, it means roughly the same thing, as I've found a number of words there, but the idea of breaking off something, gaining something, but with the idea of an evil intent. But in the Greek, which again, there's more than one word used, is the concept of more and more. So 
the idea of going into a person's closet or seeing a person's closet and noticing they have 20 suits. How do you know I have that many suits? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you may have grown a lot more than you thought. And, you know, and it doesn't mean to say that you got taller necessarily. <laughs> Uh, but then again, you know, a hundred pairs of shoes so that to display them. So well, they, the Imelda Marcos effect. Yeah. <laughs> How do you ever decide where to put them so you can find which shoes you want? Yeah, you can see these marks where people have gone overboard on yeah. things. And we can see it in other people far faster than we can in ourselves. That's the problem with it. Yeah. If we had friends who were honest with us, good friends, they might point that out. Like, don't you think you're going a little bit too far mm. on this? So, in these words, Tim, I found a great benefit to understand them, see how they're used. But one that impressed me mostly was the word epithumia in the Greek. It's found in Luke 22, verse 15. And for a word that in every other occurrence that I could find, it had uh, some evil behavior. In fact, some of the worst evil behavior involved when it used that word, which is translated covetous or longing for, or wanting more and more. But Jesus used this word, and it's in the introduction to the memorial table, because this was the Last mm -hmm. Supper. And he said in verse 15, with desire, I have desired. So it's not really two words there. It's just strengthen word and desire. I have heartily desired. In other words, Jesus really wanted to eat this Last Supper with his disciples because as we see it now, it affects our behavior. Every week, as we follow the example of the disciples who met on the first day of the week, so every week we're reminded of what Jesus did at this meal. No wonder he wanted to do it for the sake of his disciples. So that's the idea, something you really want to do. What I'm getting you saying here is we have these desires built into us, and it's how we channel those desires is what's important. So we can channel them to covetousness, to what's material gain and or power, whatever it is. But God wants us to use these kind of zeal we have inside of us to the things of God, like the Lord Jesus Christ here is he wanted that fellowship with his disciples. That's something he coveted. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's good things we can covet in this life, I guess. There is that aspect to it. I just want people to understand that if they haven't already discovered this themselves, that the words sometimes are used in a good and a bad sense, like the word zeal. People were zealous in a wrong way. You could say that the people were zealous in trying to put Jesus to death. On the other hand, afterward, the disciples were very eager to do what God wanted and to preach the word and were very zealous in doing it. And we're encouraged to be zealous about our faith. So there is both positive and negative. What we're really, I think, trying to work on here is the negatives today because they're very strong. Like you said before, they're very deceitful. So we have to be able to recognize that. Yes. Yeah. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to go through a list of what you call the snares of covetousness. There's a lot you can come up with here, but here's our five that are really substantial ones. So we're going to go through these. One, two, three, four, five, and talk about them. And hopefully it's very practical. It's really showing where covetousness can come up in our everyday lives. So number one, it's the snare of the credit card. Oh, the credit card. Well, the idea of the snare is a very important concept mm. because 
an animal being snared didn't expect to be snared. They just were walking down the path, and all of a sudden they're hanging by a foot or by <laughs> right. their head. Yeah. And the snare was set by somebody. That's the use of the word in Scripture, is the idea that there's a snare involved. And it could be so quickly used in a number of these ways. So a credit card has a snare to it. What's the snare to a credit card? Well, people see in a credit card, especially young people coming into it for the first time, that someone's prepared to allow me to spend up to $4,000. I don't know what the credit limit is for. That's a pretty good credit limit. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) But let's say it was $4,000 and think, well, all right, I have $4,000 in my bank. Therefore, I can go out and spend it. You know, as long as I don't overspend it, I can keep spending. And really, I don't have to pay it back right away because all I have to pay is the minimum balance. Now, Tim, where's the snare in that one? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just thinking that that money is available to you, but not realizing that you have to pay it back. Yeah, you have to pay it back. (laughs) Yeah. And you have to pay through the nose, as we say, to pay it back. So I remember having this discussion with my uh, students in the first year. They came into college. I would say to them, you know, you've all went out, you've got your student loans and that, but because I was teaching Mm. math, I said, just just figure out how long it's going to take you to pay it back. So the government says you don't have to pay it back till the end. Well, you've graduated. Then you start paying it back. But let's say you decide, look, I don't want to pay any more than $100 a month. And I've got maybe $10,000 that I have to pay back. And when they started to see, but the time they had a family and the children were old enough to go to college, they were still paying their loan back. They started to understand what it means to pay 27% interest on a minimum balance approach to a credit card. So the snare was you didn't really see what you were getting into in credit. I experienced the same thing when we were buying our first house. They took account of all our assets and everything and says, oh, we're prepared to give you this much uh, for a mortgage. And we looked at it going like, we're not going to be able to pay that. Like we're going to have to stretch ourselves. But you know, you want that house. You want that nice house to, to live in. But you realize that once you do that and you get in that situation, you become a slave to that payment yes, and doing that. And that's what God is saying in this. Be careful who you're going to be a slave to, me yeah. or to the, the money that you owe. We talked a little bit about this before we started to record it. And we did talk about owing no man anything. Yes, And when you're paying back a credit card and you're paying the minimum balance, you start to see that the card is not serving you. You are serving the card. And that's owing something. Yeah. You got to be really careful the difference between a master and a slave yeah. when it comes to a credit card. Yeah. Now, we're not saying you can't have a credit card. That's you right. can't own a house. You just have to make sure that you owe no man anything. I think with a credit card, I've made a principle about it. I pay it off every month. I make sure that I have the ability to pay it off. There's yeah. never a balance left on yeah. that because it will get you into trouble. There's the second snare or the second lure is the lure of advertising and buying on impulse. Yes, and boy, it's there every time you go into the store. <laughs> Especially like in our Western to society. Store to buy certain things, but when you get down there, oh, yes, I forgot about that on my list. Yeah. Oh, yes, I forgot about that. And <laughs> look at this, it's on sale. I was just waiting for this. And now it tells me if I buy 10 of them, I can get it so cheap. Yeah. I'll, I won't have to buy this again for a couple of years. Yeah. Were they putting that up for the benefit of you, or were they putting that up for the benefit of the company? So they're really interested in sales. They're not really, well, 
Yeah, I think it's strong enough to say they're really in a moral gray area when you know you're getting people to buy your product, but you're getting people that really can't afford to to buy it or who aren't thinking clearly or in some other way really shouldn't be doing what they're doing. Yeah. The store is set out that way, yeah. Tim. No, no, I'm thinking like when you walk into a mall, there are all sorts of traps, right? Yeah, and you, just, you wander are. around and covetousness is just taking over. And it's a difference between needs and wants, yes. right? Just being aware of that and really thinking, I'm content with what I have. Yeah. I don't really need all this other stuff. The third one is the deception of get-rich-quick schemes, lotteries. Yes. Even the stock market. I would say. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Tim, that is very enticing. Like when you see a hospital running a lottery and you start to think, you know, I've been in that hospital and it may have even saved your life. Yeah. And now they're running a lottery and for, you know, a hundred bucks, I can get a couple lottery tickets and, you know, maybe even win a house or something like that. Win $2 million. Yeah. Yeah. See, you're off guard. Because you're trying to justify their advertisement. If you hadn't had that experience, or if you'd been thinking, maybe reading your Bible before you went to that, you think, oh, no, I don't want it. I just don't want to be part of lotteries. Having something to the level of contentment can't really be practiced when you go and you look at something that's saying, look at what you could have. You know, it could be in a lot worse condition by having it. Yeah, it could ruin your life. And it often does with people who win lotteries, right? Yeah. Yeah. You get a lot of money and your lifestyle changes. You start living like you have a lot of money, but you don't. You only yeah. got one lottery. You don't win them every day. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot of difficulties come up with lotteries. Lotteries, I think, are pretty obvious, but maybe even investing in the stock market could be a, a trap. Investing's good when you do it wisely. It's not gambling in that way. But there is a trap that you can get caught up in that kind of mindset that you're always involved with the stocks and making money and you yes. know trading and doing all this all yes. the time that kind of overtakes your thinking. Yeah. You, we want to invest. We just want to keep it there for the long haul and really trust in God yeah. and he'll take care of us, right? Well, at my age, Tim, I would say I wouldn't want the anxiety of having <laughs> to manage it because you see if you, you can't sleep you know, you're thinking mm. about this and especially some news items that you've been watching because of it. Yeah. And they tell you, look, the likelihood is it's going to fall or something. I know there's life's got too much of that in it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to number four, the enticement of entertainment and social media. Well, I'll tell you, we did read about the idea that covetousness is like idolatry. Yeah, in Ephesians 5 verse 5. Yeah. Yeah. And what is idolatry? But it's worshiping something other than the God of the Bible. I say something because it doesn't have to be another God or you actually look at as a God. But you ask yourself, where am I spending my time? Where am I spending my money and my energy? If you make a little list of where you spent the last week and all your time, you might be kind of impressed that in terms of giving your attention to something, which is really what I think worship is, giving your attention to God or giving your attention to something else, you're vying with God for what he wants. He wants himself to be known as the potter. And yet you're looking yeah. at the stats of some quarterback or the, <laughs> the stats yeah. of some great goal scorer or whatever yeah. it is. 
And it's preoccupying you. It's again, it's an anxiety which you got to get on the news to find out what happened today. No, leave it alone. Even in social media, everybody's trying to be an influencer. It seems on that platform. So you're watching other people are taking these great trips, or yes. they're dressed up for whatever, and it's just you know, I want to be like that. It's just all that kind of attitude yeah. is really in this realm of covetousness, isn't it? Yeah. Number five is the pitfalls of keeping up with the Joneses, <laughs> I say, or just keeping up with the latest and greatest. Well, I have lived through the age of having no computers. They weren't even working, oh, yeah. but they didn't have any Yeah. until now, where it's such a change in society. I remember, Tim, actually having to push into a garbage dumpster Machinery, which I figure was worth about $30,000 because it was no longer able to cope with the software. The software changed, the hardware useless. You have to stay with the old software. They weren't supporting it anymore. So if you got on this, which I've ridden this because I was in business at that time and I had to have a computer to make my money, it just was awful, the wastefulness of society, throwing stuff away there's nothing wrong with it. It worked perfectly, but yeah. it just didn't match the standards out there. And right. Today, we see it more like in phones. You got to get the latest iPhone. Yeah. It just comes out every year, yeah. and you got to get the new one. Yeah, you're right. We live in a very wasteful society when you could still use that device. But it's it's like a, purely a matter of pride sometimes, too, trying to keep up with other people. And yes. Yes. Everything that in the material means and seeing somebody else, they have that, I want that. Yeah. Well, let's you see what you were talking about it earlier there when you talked about the covetousness and the Ten Commandments. It, they give a description of your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. It's yeah. things that you're watching. Yeah. And yeah, that's where it hits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You brought up a point before from another time where that command, thou shalt not covet, was given to the children of Israel in the wilderness. There was no malls or anything (laughs) around, right? Right. There was just their neighbors and everything, and that's that's what it was all about, right? Okay, so there's the five pitfalls. So hopefully that gets your mind thinking like, oh, yeah, there's all these different areas that can be traps, and this could be very serious. So just to go back to talk about some of the positives here and just to have this mindset in ourselves that really – The flesh can never be satisfied. It's in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, where it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. It's emptiness. So that's maybe hard for us to grasp, but I had a person once say to me, you you always live to your means, no matter how much you're making in your job or everything. The tide just seems to rise with whatever you had. And it's this desire for more and more and more yeah. that's built inside of us. Yeah. And we'll never be satisfied yeah. with that. So I think we have to realize that within ourselves. At some point, we've got to say, oh, stop. It's enough. I need to be content with where I am at in life. It becomes harder to do that, Tim, when you have a spouse and you have a family. Mm-hmm. Because if you've been maintaining a certain standard of living, you know, and new products are coming out, new things people want, the natural thing is to get a better job and to somehow rather increase in what you can buy. That's the trend we have to buck. 
Another verse, which for my study on this, I would say it is probably being the most formative of my opinion on this, is found in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, where in the King James Version, it says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Now, that connects in my mind what is really important about covetousness. Covetousness is not being content. Mm -hmm. Remember, as you talked about it earlier, that sometimes you're trying to describe something, describe what it isn't. And yeah, it's not being content. Well, so we've got to be content with such things as you have. Why? Because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if you're not content and you're continuing on this ride, you're calling God a liar. Ooh. Yes. And that is what God, I think, is so offended at. He has said, I'll never leave you or I'll never forsake you. And you, it's almost as if, well, thank you for that, but not too sure I even will need you over here. <laughs> yeah. That oh, that's crazy. Talk. not behavior that God is pleased with. Right. So that's really that we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Yes. This covetousness and this anxiety about these kind of things is really driven by fear, yes. fear of the future. And it really can destroy our lives. It really just doesn't put us in the, in the right place. That's right. And going back again, as we mentioned before, godliness with contentment is great gain. So it's really just trying to see in contentment, really, what can make us whole? What can bring us peace? What will really satisfy us in this life? It's not material things or gain or any of that kind of stuff. It's really based in this idea of, of contentment. And when we have that mindset, then you know God can dwell with us because that's that's his mindset. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I think it's really, a, again, like a taste. It's kind of opened my eyes. See it so many times in Scripture and invite the listeners that are doing their readings to look out for it themselves, how much time and effort is spend in the scriptures telling us about covetousness and the snares of covetousness and why it's so important. And as we've read, it's so important that if we don't get this under control, we're not going to be in the kingdom of God. So I thank you for that, Frank, and I thank you for your time. It's been a wonderful conversation as always. Thank you, Tim. We'd like to meet you. Every Tuesday night, we meet online for a Zoom Bible study come by and just say hi. It's an informal group discussion format where everybody is encouraged to ask questions and share their perspectives on the scriptures. I think you'll really like it. It happens every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To get the Zoom meeting link, go to our website at www.essentialbiblestudies.org and fill out the form. Speaking of questions, if you ever have a question about the podcast or the subject matter, then drop it on us at our website contact form. Again, that's www.essentialbiblestudies.org. This is a Christadelphian podcast supported by the Book Road Ecclesia in beautiful Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.